Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons. And I'm Joshua Simmons. We are two brothers who love fly fishing, our families, and our men of faith. But like most of you listening, we're still not experts on any of those subjects. So our hope is to speak with as many people that we believe are experts on these subjects and pose the questions that most of us are asking. So thanks for joining us along the journey as we seek to inspire and encourage dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, fatherhood, and faith on the fly. Coming up on today's episode. And we joke that there are tourists from across the country that have pictures of a drift boat going down the Madison River with a, you know, the little high chairs that hook on a kitchen chair? Oh, yeah. yeah. So they hook perfectly on the back seat of a drift boat. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) So we had one of those and the biggest umbrella that we owned looked like a gigantic sunflower. So here we are in, you know, blue ribbon trout country in Montana, rowing our boat down the river. One of us is fishing on the front. One of us is rowing and our baby is in the back. Love it. Buckled in a chair under a giant sunflower. So we just made it happen. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Dads of the Fly podcast. I am Caleb joined by my brother, Joshua, as always. Joshua, how are you today, man? Doing well, man. We, uh. We're hoping to get on some uh, water this week, finally. It's got some warm days here in West North Carolina, and we've not just been busy until we've not been able to get on the water. But our plan this week, it, this coming weekend, is to do some fishing. So I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited about tonight's episode. But before we talk about our guest tonight, we have some just some updates for everybody. So let's I'll start with one, and then we'll kind of go back and forth here. Uh, first update, want to let everybody know about, just a reminder, March the 16th, we will be at Maggie Valley Fly Shop that evening. Just come hang out. Uh just have a good time with us, maybe sit and talk for a little bit. And then around, we're going to be there at 6, and then around 6.45, we are going to interview Mr. Jerry Yates. We're going to do a live interview with him, uh, bring some questions maybe for Jerry, bring some questions for the show, and uh, just sit back and have a good time, man. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited about that event. I think it's going to be a really cool time to hang out with some local folks. Uh, Frog Level Brewing is going to be there and have some beverages for us, and uh, it's going to be a good time just hanging out and getting to meet Hopefully some people that are uh, local that are enjoying the show. So I'm really Yeah, one incentive that. about that, we're going to have a uh, fly tying kit, full, a toolkit from Anadromous Fly Company given away that night. Oh, that's really so, cool. So uh, yeah. got got one of those one to give away. It's a really sweet kit. Um, so you want to be there, get a chance to win that, and just uh, hear some awesome stories from Jerry that night. And just check out Maggie Valley Fly Shop. Should be a fun time. Second thing we got going on, man. Go ahead, March the 24th. Yeah, we're excited. We're going to be at the Fly Fishing Film Tour at Highland Brewing in Asheville on March the 24th. We're going to have a little table set up there and be out there and meeting folks and talking to them and uh, getting excited to watch this awesome Fly Fishing Film Tour that's traveling all throughout the southeast. Yeah, it's all, all throughout the country. Yeah. Uh, I've I've gotten to do this once before, and uh, it's it's pretty impressive. It's, it's a really cool venue at Highland. Uh, you come in and just hang out for a little while before, and then just watching the film. It's so cool. It's a cool environment. Um, it's going to be a fun night. We're going to be there. Come out and uh, meet us uh, early uh, when the doors open. You can get tickets uh, through Hunter Banks. 
So you can go online to their website, uh, check out their Instagram handle. They've been posting about it, and that's where you get your tickets for for that night. It's really a cool thing. I know you've never been to, a, to one. I got to go a couple years ago, and it's just it's yeah. A cool I haven't night, been man. to the tour yet, so it's, I'm it's looking forward be a fun to it. Time. We're looking forward to it. Um, so those are the two events coming up. Just want to remind everybody. Um, Don't forget, we're also you're going to be at, down at Orvis and Greenville oh, yeah, on March the fourth. We about forgot about that one. I uh, forgot about it. I just got to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pumped about that. They're doing a fly fishing 101 that morning. A uh, fly tying 101. Yeah, and then m- me and my d- our dad are going to be there through kind of like the middle break, and then they're doing a fly tying 201. So they're going to be tying flies all day in the Orvis. There should be a lot of people around. I'm um, looking forward to just getting to meet some people. Going to have some some swag down there and just kind of hang out. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to unfortunately miss out on March the 4th. Got some work stuff going on. Yeah, but there'll be a dad on. Well, I'll have dad with me. So yeah, still two dads. it'll be in good shape. But uh, yeah, man, our calendar's filling up. Uh, we're constantly getting some great events going on and. You just keep filling up my calendar, and I'm Mar- loving it. So Mar- it's Mar- great. March is busy, man. Like it we, is. we got that other thing going on at the night after the film tour that we're not even going to talk about yet. <laughs> yeah. We're going to save that for a little spoiler alert later on. Um, but it's going to be cool. Uh, just really excited to get starting to fish some. We've got, man, this this thing we got going on in March with just uh, some of the rods we're fishing is going to be awesome. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm pumped. Uh, can't wait. For what we're going to do after, you talked about these rods. I want to go ahead and tease this out a little bit. Okay. We are excited. To, it's going to be, a, we think, in April. Is that right? Our rod building. Is that right? Yeah. It's going to be like a rod rod builder series. Yeah. Type, so, we're type gonna, deal. so we're recording some episodes with a, uh, a fiberglass rod builder, uh, a bamboo rod builder, and then a uh, normal graphite rod. Yeah. guy who's big in the graphite rods yeah. in, a, in a certain company. We're not going to throw out that company yet, but we're going <laughs> to definitely. Yeah. It's going to be a fun time, man. So. Yeah, I will say um, a great way to kind of interact with those episodes would be to join the Patreon. Yeah, if um, you want to check us out on Patreon, just go to patreon.com and search for Dads on the Fly, and we will send you updates ahead of the game. So if you've got questions for like this rod building series that we've got coming up, or if you've got certain, you want to get kind of that insider info, uh, get the news before it's happening, before everybody else does, you can check us out on patreon.com. Search Dads on the Fly. You can sign up uh, to be a page, patron, and we'll send you some bonus content as yeah. well. Also, uh, you're doing a great job with the email, man, so awesome job for that. You guys, if you haven't subscribed to the email, go and subscribe to the email. You can do that on our website. You can do it if you click on our bio and Instagram. You can find it there in the link uh, in the link tree. There's a link just to go subscribe to the email. Caleb's been putting out some great stuff in the email, kind of about what we got going on. So super excited about that. Super excited about the spring. It's just going to be a really fun time to meet more people and interact and kind of just do what we're all about the retreats full we're getting pumped for that and so it's gonna be a fun spring man but tonight we've got a cool episode or today yeah speaking of spring uh i'm excited because fishing's about to turn on yep hopefully a lot more especially with 70 degree days in february yeah hopefully a lot more opportunities to go and with that we got a great opportunity today to interview and have a conversation with mr ian and miss charity rudder this is our first married couple on the podcast so this was a lot of fun it was fun they told some cool stories about kind of how they met and everything and how they started their their god service and um you know what we didn't get to talk about much in the episode i would just encourage everybody to go check them out uh we didn't get to talk about ian's art probably as much as we wanted to uh we went all over the place just talking about fishing in the great smoky mountains national park and and some great stories with their kids uh when they were little so um, it's a fun episode. We really appreciate them doing that. And they're just right across the mountain here. And, uh, it was a cool time. Yeah. So you can, uh, if you enjoy this conversation, make sure to check Ian and charity out at R and R fly That's 
the letter R and R flyfishing.com. You can check them out if you're interested in checking out the Tennessee side of the park. You can uh, book a trip with them. They do an amazing job. And so let's dive in now to our conversation with Mr. Ian and Ms. Charity Rudder. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Maggie Valley Fly Shop. Maggie Valley Fly Shop is your go-to stop in Western North Carolina for all your fly fishing needs. Whether you're looking to book a guided trip or you're wanting to go catch some gear that you may need before you hit the stream, hop into Maggie Valley Fly Shop, grab a cup of coffee, get all the gear you need, and go enjoy a great day on the water in Western North Carolina. You can also check them out online at maggievalleyflyshop.com. Dads on the Fly is also brought to you by Trout Routes. Joshua, when we are looking for new places to go catch trout, I can think of no better resource to use than the Trout Routes app. It has been an awesome thing to help us find more trout to catch. Yeah, man, whether exploring new water or just being a new angler at all, Trout Routes now includes all of the lower 48 states on their amazing app that can be found anywhere you get your apps. So make sure and download Trout Routes today for all your fly fishing adventures. Well, everyone, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Ian and Miss Charity Rudder. Ian and Charity, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great to be with you. Well, we are really excited to talk to you guys a little bit about your fly fishing journeys and some of your uh, expertise. Uh, we got the opportunity to meet you guys at the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, Ian, I had seen your books and uh, heard you on a couple of other podcasts talking about our favorite thing to do, which is fly fish in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And then after meeting you guys in person, Josh and I talked, we're like, man, we got to get these guys on the show because what a great story. Husband and wife parents living the fly fishing life and then uh well we're basically neighbors i mean, I mean we yeah, kind of we're, are we're, we're, neighbors. we're <laughs> state line neighbors as a crow flies we could be there in a flash very that good. is we very could. good very, yeah very if there was wasn't these big old mountains in the way yeah. we could get to each other really quickly for sure but thank you guys for doing this we want to just start with uh and i'll i guess ian you can go first and then Charity can tell her story, but when when's the first time you kind of got a fly rod in your hand? I know you've been uh, got a career in the industry now, but when when did it start for you? Um, I was in college, um, and it was in the early '90s, and I was uh, really big into hiking and backpacking. And I can't tell you exactly uh, when or where it was, but I just from from the trail saw a trout in the water and was like, "Oh, whoa!" huh, I, I guess I knew there was fish there, but huh. And then I thought, well, I, that'd be kind of cool to try to, to catch them. And, you know, I saw there was regulations and I took a spinning rod and a rooster tail a couple of times. And I think I had a follow or something. And there was a fellow down the road from me who was retired, who was a big bass fisherman and lived on the lake and had a boathouse and stuff. And I was telling him about all this. He said, oh, no, no, no. You got to use a fly rod for, for trout. And he went to the boathouse and brought out this um, fly rod that was pretty much a relic 30 years ago. And it was like a probably a fiberglass seven weight. And the, the fly line was pretty ancient. And I didn't know enough to know it was, you know, kind of worthless. And I kind of took that out and banged around with that and uh, kind of worked my way through all sorts of discount um equipment and everything for a few years and was self-taught and it seemed like after about a year and a half i kind of hit the critical mass of 
um, catching fish regularly. And, you know, for the, for the younger folks out there now to have to think that I, I tell people I went to the library to get yeah. books to learn how to do this. And those books were either written there from like a no Google machine uh, <laughs> in the early 90s or YouTube or anything. Yeah. So I was reading books that were like from the New York cat skill perspective. Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> Yeah, I, rem I remember encyclopedias. Those were fun. Remember the encyclopedia sets? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got to get but the one anyway, for tea for trout. The tea one, right? Tea for trout. Yeah. Tea for trout. But, but nothing was, it never really clicked. Um, and it was well into where I had been guiding and, and actually started traveling a bit that I kind of saw how unique the situation was here. And I don't know if you guys do any of the tailwater stuff over here, but the quench was about 30 minutes from University of Tennessee campus. And um, so there was a lot of days I would have a eight in the morning class and I'll have a class till one and I would zip up to the clinch and fish. And that was like a whole new, I mean, that was like starting from scratch. It was completely different. It was just flat, clear, slick. You know, you had to have some minuscule little midge or with uh, what we would call a zebra midge now back then they were called clinch river midges but you know anyway so there was so much different stuff i kind of learned all at once and and really the hard way like i learned to nymph without strike indicators because i didn't know there was such a thing as a strike indicator until <laughs> somebody showed me um and then you know got into to guiding started that was actually the first thing i did after i graduated college um i kind of just started right out in that and um, don't know that I ever expected uh, to still be in it, you know, almost 30 years on now. Not, not quite, but we've, we've had our own business for 20 years now. So, so I guess you'd say we're, we're lifers uh, at this rate. That's awesome. I love that you uh, picked it up in college and you said you were totally self-taught like before YouTube because I think about everything I've learned from fly fishing and probably – you know, 50% of it's been what I've looked up online. Well, there and, were no uh, miraculous podcasts like this to listen to. Oh, that that's point. what I mean. Yeah. 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 There, 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 were people that's, there were not resources <laughs> like dads on the fly to listen to at that point with great people that's like right. this to give their, you know, all their knowledge. So you had to go do it the that's hard right. way. Yeah. But that's I feel right. like, but I feel like in some ways that's actually a really great perspective because I don't want to speak for you, Ian, and I don't want to. But I know when I was trying to figure out a lot of that stuff, it's like you learn really quickly from your mistakes. Like you learn really quickly from all well, the times you don't well, get it right. Apparently, I wasn't that fast a learner, I don't think. <laughs> okay. Because um, <laughs> I was going a bunch. Yeah. And it took me a while. And, and I've had there, – there's guys I've taken fishing for, for years. We become close friends with, and they will just – say oh if i could only fish like you if i could do this like you know and i'm like yeah well you just don't do it enough is the thing you know you do it the three times you fish with me and they're like no no yeah but i'm like no i don't have a gift trust me you don't know i said you probably haven't fished as much in your life as i fished up to the point where i got good at it yeah. you know I, I spent a lot of time sucking at this yeah before <laughs> i got good and uh sometimes that but like I said, I think in some ways that's really neat because you get a really 
good perspective on it now. And uh, I guess I wanted to do it bad. I was going to say, I guess you just fell in love with them, the trout, so much that it was a must. Something. I I think I just didn't want to lose. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And then by the time I finally, you know, I was pretty far along by the time I I, I started scoring some wins regularly. So you started uh, guiding straight out of college uh, after you kind of fell in love with trout fishing, um, fly fishing Mm -hmm. in general. and how long did you do that before you met Charity? I started guiding in uh, 1995, and we met in early 98, and it was, uh, we didn't see a whole lot of each other. It was just sort of kind of like, oh, there's that person again. Um, and I was, I, was, I was trying to get in her way a few times. <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand. Um, but in, in any case... Um, did you start fishing in was it 1999? So, yeah, tell us a little bit about that, Charity. What is your story when it comes into catching fish on the fly? So, um, I have a degree in graphic design, and I moved here from Oklahoma two weeks after college graduation. Um, my brother lives in Knoxville and moved here during my college years. And so I started coming to visit and I just fell in love with the area and quickly realized that um, it didn't matter what time of year I was in East Tennessee. It was really nice to be outside. And the weather in Oklahoma is very extreme where I was. And so um, I came here looking for graphic design work. Every time I had been to Knoxville, it was growing and expanding. And I started doing that. And so I was in Knoxville. I went back to Oklahoma City for a couple of years, came back here in February of 98 and um, met Ian the weekend I flew in from Oklahoma City. I flew in for a job as an art director for an advertising agency in Knoxville. And I had a friend that I had met right after college that came and picked me up in Knoxville. And we came to Townsend. I met Ian that day in a fly shop and our friend was a guide working with Ian. And uh, so we had a mutual friend that in 1992 and 93, when I was here before, he was spending time with him and I was spending time with him, but we never met each other then. And um, so when I ended up moving back to Tennessee for that job, I moved down the hill from Ian in the same neighborhood in Townsend. So you just hated that, right, Ian? That was just terrible. I mean, well, just... <laughs> you know, another thing for, for the kids, you know, we're not as young as we look. Uh, I was able to make my move because you know, there was no cable. And I lived <laughs> on top of the ridge and I had good TV That's reception true. and she got nothing. It's always so great how, uh, awesome. you know, husbands and wives tell their stories. <laughs> um, you know, my, me and my Thursday wife. Thursday night TV brought us together. I like <laughs> yes. it. I like it. I love it. <laughs> what a, oh, ER, yeah, ER. yeah, ER. Yeah, what yeah. a classic yeah. for sure. That is great. Well, Anthony yeah, Edwards. Is that, yeah. Night yeah. Hang out. And we were just hanging out. Yeah. Too cool. Um, you, th- you thought Ian, Ian, thought Ian had other plans. Thought. He thought. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, we were friends for about a year before we ever went on a date. And during that year, um, I lost my job at the advertising agency. And I was just kind of like, well, crap. Um, and I lost my job the same day I was diagnosed with a thyroid disease. 
Oh, wow. And the doctor, when I was diagnosed, told me that, that uh, women in my family got that disease, but they were usually in their late 40s. And the doctor told me that day that I had it so young because it was stress-induced. Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, God, loud and clear. No more advertising agency. <laughs> yeah. And I started fishing. Okay. Awesome. And so um, Ian had, every time Ian had a day off, I was just following him around up the river and it was. Or after work. Or after work. And what was probably six months we did that before I ever touched a rod, wasn't it? Well, you, you'd just go along. Yeah, I would just um, go along. I didn't know my way around the park. It wasn't something I was, you know, I moved here from. Oklahoma City with a, you know, my home I owned in Oklahoma City had a sidewalk and a streetlight in front of it. And I moved to Townsend where there's hardly, there were in the 90s, there were hardly lines on the road and certainly no streetlights. Um, the highway's much bigger through town now than it was then. But um, anyway, so I would just kind of go hang out with Ian and learn my way around the park and watch him fish. And I'm a, being a designer, being an art person, I'm a very visual learner. So the first time I held a fly rod, I kind of knew the motion. I'd been watching him do it. And um, I don't know. He could tell you more about the first time I fished than I did because I was so focused on, you know, how to stand up in the water and not get tangled up and all that kind of stuff. But I caught fish my first day ever fishing go. with a fly rod on wild trout in the national park. And that's, it's hard to do. Yeah, I was going to say, that's yeah. pretty. She had a much easier path than I did. I, really good I, I think what I think a she's a really good teacher. Yeah. Well, I always laugh because she never really understood it was supposed to be difficult because she <laughs> well, she would run around with me and my friends, some of whom, you know, were a lot older than I was at the time and had been doing it since they were eight or nine. Yeah. And and we'd all just kind of chit chat and fish and do stuff. And so she started fishing that spring. And by that November, she'd caught a 21-inch fish in the park. Oh, wow. And wow. the following June, you know, like 14 months into fly fishing, the first day in in, in Florida, she caught an 80-pound tarpon. Wow. So, you know, she if, if anybody ever had a steeper curve, I, I don't know who they are. Um, so well, well, it sounds she, like you know, she had a good inclination, but was always hanging with the right people, too. It sounds like we should just watch Ian fish. For six months, and then then the sky's the limit. We can pretty much do whatever. Learn a lot watching, watching, yeah. Just You're watching Ian. Learner. YouTube, right? Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Just exactly. watch Ian fish. That is great. So yeah. So um, while I was in between jobs, I pretty much got to get out on the on the water and in the park um, as many days a week as I wanted to. And so I had a huge advantage when I was learning that I could be out there several days in a row. Um, instead of just once a month or once a year or, you know, okay, we have one week to travel somewhere and do it. So I had a really big advantage living in Townsend, having the national park as my backyard um, to learn and being able to get out there every day. So, yeah, I think that's then, what I've taken from you guys just off the bat is for those of us that, you know, really want to get passionate about it and really want to improve. You can't say enough for just experience. Even on days that maybe aren't the best days, I mean, I hear Ian say you know it took him some time, and, and she got all that charity got all this time on the water, and I think sometimes we think, oh well, today's not perfect conditions, or today it's crowded, or today I know there's going to be, but you can't 
overstate the importance of being being on the water, on the water. Uh, and getting that time. And having a really good teacher. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, that's true, but even that, it's the time. It is um, time. You know, and I always tell people that um, you're when you're looking at the river, because um, every time you go, it can be this the same patch of water that every day the water level is a little different. And if you do it all year long, you're going to have cold days, hot days, rainy days, high water, low water. And uh, over time, you kind of build this mental Rolodex. And um, I guarantee anybody you know who fishes a bunch and particularly has their own little patch, they're going to go along and they're going to look at a certain rock in the river. And they're going to have like that thing marked that if it's underwater, it's probably too high, so that means I've got only these spots to fish. And if it's you know halfway up and everything's perfect, and if the, the rock's not even in the water, oh boy, you know we got to go real far or hike in. You know there, you've kind of got these like just little mental checklists. <laughs> yeah, that that you can almost kind of look at things you've done it so many times. But even then, you can go to someplace brand new and and. You might not say, oh, that's exactly like the run on Little River by the picnic area or something. But you'll you'll have that mental Rolodex to compare it to be like, oh, I know exactly what to do. i got to be on this side, not that side. Um, it's, it's not at all in like being a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people that, you know, Eric Clapton just pick up guitar one day and just start, you know, just recording all-star you know there's just a lot of time that goes into that and playing every style and every tempo and you know, they play every night till two in the bar and you know it's the same it's just that repetition muscle memory and uh having the oddball things like rain or dirty water flowing at you that you, you you work through that and then the hard stuff makes the regular stuff seem easy oh yeah yeah i definitely think there's definitely no substitute for time on the water and that, and that experience. I mean, it definitely is going to make you a better angler. So I want to kind of circle back to something that you guys were talking about and charity, you kind of mentioned it. You said Ian was a great teacher. And so I want to ask this question because I am currently, my wife is getting more interested into fly fishing. She's still not sold out yet. Like we're not going to be doing any partner guide trips or anything yet but um that would require you being able to do a guide trip (laughs) that's true (laughs) so uh that's a good point but um what is what do you think made it so good for you guys like why why charity you said ian was a great teacher um in some ways i'm scared to teach my wife because i don't want to like cause an argument yeah (laughs) thanks so so i will tell you that um when i started fishing had we been on a date yet? Or have we just been hanging out? We just, I don't think, kind of all started around the same time. About the same time I started fishing, we started dating. So there was not that comfort level that a marriage has. Yeah. Just say, back up, give me a minute, <laughs> let me figure it out. You know, yeah. you're still kind of in that, I'm going to be nice, I'm going to woo a little kind of stage between us. So, so I think he was extra, extra patient with me when I would say or do stupid things um, where now he might just be like, what are you doing? You know, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that used to make me mad that still makes me mad on the water. If I trip and splash and he goes, Shh. And I'm like, do you honestly think I was trying to make noise? Really? You know, and I probably didn't say that when we first started dating, I understand. But just 
He probably didn't yeah, shush. All honesty here. Yeah, I was gonna say Ian probably uh, didn't shush you when uh, y'all were dating either. Well, so. I would advise you not to do that either way. Let's, yeah, don't, don't do that. Um, but I will tell you, we get we get so many calls from people like you who are wanting to teach their spouse or have tried to teach their spouse, and they end up just, you know, she's but like, "Leave me alone. Let me figure it out. Quit trying to tell me what to do." Kind of kind of thing happens. Um, or because you're already so experienced at it, there's a lot of things that you just do naturally. Mm. And because you've never really maybe taught it, you just automatically expect her to know things that she doesn't know. And so we get a lot of calls from spouses, partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever that say, I'm trying to fish with my partner. Will you please teach them so that we can fish together later. Yeah. And, and we do that a lot and it's so fun. I mean, I will say, you know, Ian, Ian said, we've been guiding, we've had our independent business for over 20 years. We both guided before that. Um, it is still so fun to help somebody catch their first fish on fly rod. Yeah. It is so fun. I still get so excited. And, um, you know, as long as that's still fun, I'll, I'll keep doing it. I love to teach. I love to help people, you know, see those little light bulbs come on and see people get so excited about catching a fish and looking at their colors and touching it for the first time and all that stuff. It's just really, really, it's still exciting for me. Yeah, I've had the opportunity yeah. with a couple of cousins from uh, Alabama who um, I guess, I mean, we're not, we're far from guides, but I guess they had like nobody else to turn to. So they, uh, we came, were free. Yeah, so. we were free and we had equipment. So they came up to hang out with us and, um, to see that, you know, to have them catch a fish and not just, I think I want to kind of go into this because I think all of us sitting here have this passion for these fish in the park. And that's what I was able to do is to what you guys get to do is have someone catch their first wild fish in the park and how that's a different experience than maybe a fish somewhere else because, Usually it's where you're at. And and that's what I wanted to come back to with both of you. And either one of you could take this, but I'm sure you've probably in your career had ample opportunities to probably guide wherever you wanted to once you're professionals at it. But what keeps bringing you back to Townsend, Tennessee, this area? I mean, was it somewhere you just knew you were always going to stay? Well, I'll, I'll just say this um, from, from the business industry part of it. Um, if you're a Western guide, you, you got to do something else. It's, it's too short a season. Uh, we're here. We're, we're kind of uh, a very solid nine months. Um, so, and with the other three months, it's, it's, you know, it gets cold, but you can, you can fish and there's, there's opportunities where I was actually like in the middle of a conversation with a guy in West Yellowstone. And I don't know if he knew where I was going, but I was leading up to, you know, what would I do for you next year, next season? And he was saying, well, you know, we do a little bit, but it really gets rolling uh, really middle of June, you know, you know, Memorial day, but water is generally high runoff. So it's June when we get rolling. And I thought, wow, you know, like we're, we're halfway through, you know, yeah, that's, you know, wow. And, um, and he yeah, said, four months in. <laughs> you know, and, and at that time he said, you know, Labor Day, 
you know, there's some guiding in September, but you know, it's pretty much wrapped up for by first of October. And and there's a lot more people fishing in the West now in the fall than there were then. Um, but I remember thinking, wow, this is uh shoot, I don't know about this. Um, so just from a, a business perspective, you know, we, we like it here, we love it here, but we it, can fish year round but, here. <laughs> but it, it it makes this possible such we don't have to like move mid-season to keep guiding um in fact there for a long time i was doing float trips on the tailwaters for like 15 years and i actually had to kind of reel myself in and just kind of hone down because i was running myself ragged i was hiking in five miles with some people and rowing a boat in 85 degrees the next day and then doing it was just it was more than i could really deal with at a certain point so i just decided to kind of reel it up kind of I felt like I could I could stay busy and, and keep the same number of guide days just doing the park. Mm. So just just in a practical level that. But coming back around, it's just the coolest place. Yeah. And I'm not you know, I'm not selling you guys on anything. And it's always kind of funny because you'll talk to guys from Michigan or certainly from the West and, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, they, they're they're acting like they're trying not to be offensive, but they're being very patronizing, you know, you and your little mountains and your little fish, you know, and, you know, heaven help them when they get here. They, they are just like lost as Easter eggs, you know, they just, the, the water, they don't know what to do with the water. The rocks are slipperier than anything they've encountered. And it's so much more physical than they ever mm-hmm. imagined. You know, it, it's a super physical fishery here that, that you can't appreciate. Not that what they it. do isn't physical. It's no. just a different, yeah. oh, it's a different sure. kind of physical. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so um, I guess my favorite clientele are the people are just like, yeah, let, I, I want you to beat me up today. <laughs> and, and you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that to catch fish by any means. But I've got a few guys that, that over the years, we've, we've put in a lot of miles. And um, I've, I've actually taken a few people a few places where I normally wouldn't guide, period. But it's like, well, I've been with them enough that if I got hurt, I'd trust them to get me out, you know. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, about staying here year-round, we have children. We're parents. We have kids. Um, we both have parents nearby as well okay and we're very family oriented people and um you know we we have lots of jokes about we were carrying babies in backpacks in the river before it was ever cool yeah you know we were we were the ones that people were like ready to call bcs on us because we had a baby in the backpack in the middle of the river in february um but you know rest assured they were fine and we kept them warm and healthy and fed and everything else and they're thriving but, um, you know, we joke that that's, it seems to be, there's a, there's been a trend in the last few years of oh, yeah. women, with babies and backpacks on the river. And we're just like, that's old hat. <laughs> you know, you were we the trendsetter. That. You set that been trend. There, there and done that, <laughs> yeah. you know? well, nobody we wanted did. our pictures. We, we had nice pictures. We, did. we back tried then. to, we tried to give pictures them. to some of the magazines and stuff and they didn't want, they yeah. didn't want little kids or babies or whatever. Yeah. We now it's changed that, a lot. Um, when our daughter was probably two, we used to um, actually, <laughs> I'll tell you, this is a, 
I'm, I'm going to get off track in a second with the story. Is that okay? Please. A, we love stories. Story about traveling with a kid. So when our daughter Willow was born, we had already scheduled to host a trip in Montana and Yellowstone. And in that September of 05, she was born in June of 05. Late June. Very end of June. <laughs> she was not, she was not due till July. So she was born like that last couple days of June. Um, so she was 10 weeks old and we were hosting a group at a lodge on the Madison river in Montana and doing trips in the national park. Now, when we host trips outside of our backyard, we are not the guides. We want to hire the people who that's their backyard and that's sure. what they know the best. And so we go, we set them up with the guides and we have several friends. We had children much later than a lot of people our age. So a lot of people our age have grandbabies happening now. And we have a daughter graduating from high school. So, um, and that's perfectly fine for all of us. But um, so we were, we were, uh, you know, like, okay, well, how are we going to do this? We're going to do this. You know, this is what we're going to do. And we had so many people that we knew friends and people that we barely knew that were just like, you are crazy. You're going to drive from Tennessee to Montana with a newborn baby. And you think you're going to be able to fish and you think you're going to be able to sleep and you think you're going to be able to do anything other than take care of a baby. You're nuts. Well, we did it and it worked. And to this day, both of our kids, it's like, being outside or hearing the rustling of trees or the green of outside and the fresh air, it's like they're zen. Yeah. It's their, it's their calming place. And, um, and we did it. And we joke that there are tourists from across the country that have pictures of a drift boat going down the Madison River with a, you know, the little high chairs that hook on a kitchen chair? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they hook perfectly on the back seat of a drift boat. That is awesome. <laughs> so we had one of those and the biggest umbrella that we owned looked like a gigantic sunflower. <laughs> so here we are in, you know, blue ribbon trout country in Montana, rowing our boat down the river. One of us is fishing on the front. One of us is rowing and our baby is in the back. Love it. Buckled in a chair under a giant sunflower. <laughs> That's... So we just made it happen. We had a we had a pediatrician that we met right before she was born. And he said, look, my one word of advice to you, and this is what I give every outdoors person that's expecting children. One word of advice to you when you start having children. Don't create your lifestyle around a baby. Bring your baby into your lifestyle. Mm. Because if babies eat and sleep and poop. And if you try to make your life around just that when they're new, you will be miserable. That's a great point. So. I love it. Here's my story. Oh, that, <laughs> solid. Yeah, I think that's great. I know we got a lot of uh, new parents and a lot of uh, expecting to be parents that listen to our podcast. And I hope they take that. Oh, good. I hope, that's I hope they take that word of advice really helpful because I think it's very yeah. I love it. meaningful. Because you're right. It's so easy, especially when they're young like that, to get wrapped up into nothing but them. But. You, yeah. you ruin your life and you also ruin, I mean, you don't ruin theirs, but you, 
you don't expose them to a lot of things if that's all you're concerned about is their wants and their needs and they get to experience life. And I think it helps them flourish later on um, when they learn that the world maybe doesn't revolve around them. We, we got a lot of our, our kids are great travelers. We've been loading them up in the car and taking them with us everywhere we go. The way it was explained to us was that a baby doesn't know anything. It doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. And if you at least do what you know what to do, somebody knows what they're doing. That's if a good you change what you're doing, now the baby and you both, nobody knows what they're doing. So <laughs> at least just do know what, you know, take the kid, do you what can, you do. You feed them and they can sleep anywhere. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good, yeah. I mean, I just think back to when my yeah. kids were small and, you know, I would, uh, take them to gyms when I was coaching at young ages and somebody could hold them yeah. and they'd usually be asleep anyway. So they never, yeah. and they, they did just fine with everything. So that's, I love, so I love that. Know, one of these days we are hoping that some of those pictures surface of that drift boat somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It'll be in a magazine one day and it'll be like somebody's, <laughs> you can That'd take your awesome. kids fishing. Well, yeah. that. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> I love it. Well, I love that you've, uh, you guys got your kids outside and, and being a part of what you're doing. I think yeah. that is just so, I think that's a great reminder for all of us parents, like to just be willing to do that and expose them to those things and let them experience it. And I love that your kids have figured out that outside is their, like you were saying, they're zen. It's their place to kind of get recentered through our conversations we've had on this show. And even in my own and Josh was on experience, I think we just keep learning time and time again being outside is just so healing for for the mind for the body for everything you know i was just reading a book by a guy named john eldridge a couple weeks ago and he talks about that just being exposed to the beauty of outside does something for our souls and i know yeah yeah in our brain and everything and so we're very blessed because we get to experience this in the grace of mountains national park like you were saying right here in our backyard and I think for those who haven't experienced it, I would encourage them to get there as soon as they can, <laughs> because I know you guys yeah. have fallen in love with it just as much as we have. It is our favorite place to fish. I, I know it's my favorite place to fish oh, yeah. by far. Um, and we've still probably barely explored Dude, we haven't a even, third of it. We haven't even touched half of it. I yeah. Like, yeah a third, like you're saying. There's a lot of it. And, and, you know, and I know you guys got that problem too, where you've got Pisgah. And that you got so much, yeah. You know, it's you look at it, and I've I've been a ton of places, and just because this is the way I am, I could probably nonstop just start reeling off places I haven't been mm. that have been on my to do list forever, and they're not really right here, but they're just like just far enough. It's kind of hard to do it in a day, yeah. Mm. And hike in and fish it hard and hike out and drive home. And you have to drive past a lot of other good water to get yeah, there. Exa- exa- yeah, exactly. We run into that a lot. We run into that a lot. Josh was like, man, we got to go over to th- this is our thing. We, we joke about this all the time because his thing is always yeah. wanting to get, go explore new water. And as soon as we're driving, I'm like, well, we could have gone here. We could have stopped there. We, I, you know, I know they're probably biting there today. So <laughs> I know there's fish in these holes, but, uh, I do like experiencing those new places, but we haven't we haven't fished the Tennessee side of the park very much. We've stayed in a lot of uh, Haywood, Jackson County over here in North Carolina a lot because there's just so much, and it yeah. is so. Well, it's like you said, um, if you have a day, like yeah. Ian was saying, I mean, 
you got to get up even earlier, which mm-hmm. is fine. But then you got you're another two. It's a two hour drive instead of a, maybe a one hour drive for, yeah. and then you're hiking. And it's one of those things where to do to fish the way we like to fish, we like to do it for a whole day. And it would be one of those things where I'd rather spend the night. And yeah. not that I still don't want to do that at some point because there's so much great water. Um, but if people message us or send us a, a message on Instagram or something, I usually say, I'll be glad to help you with North Carolina side of like ac- some access points or something. But if you're going to Tennessee, you know, you need to call experts over there. That's, that's what I do because it's it's a different – I feel like it's similar, but I wanted to speak to you guys about how sort of the Tennessee side does, does fish differently or even if it doesn't fish differently, like what is sort of how you – how do you approach – I know we've talked a little family already, so I want to go into my fishing questions now. Just a couple of them, if that's all right. How do you approach um, – because I think what you do is different than most guides. Most guides are going to take people a place that's probably a little – I don't know. I just say it easier. Um, it's a little more simpler fishery a lot of times. We know – because I can remember being in the park having bad days because, like you said, learning. So how do you approach that with – People maybe who have never fished before, but they want to get into fly fishing and they do, they want to go in these beautiful places. How can you make them successful in those, you know, difficult fisheries? Because they are, like you said, it's work. Sometimes you're wading, sometimes you're hiking. Can I start with this one? Sure. So when we have people call us that want to learn to fish the park or that are learning to fly fish, um, we spend a good amount of time talking to them on the phone about what they have in mind, you know. Um, a lot of people have a preconceived idea that it's going to be like the trophy water in Cherokee mm. where they're just going to throw it in there and pull out big giant fish. And we make sure that they understand that the water inside the national park, the uniqueness of it. And, you know, we talk to them about the bigger water and the smaller water and doing stuff that's a quicker access roadside as, a, as compared to, doing something where we throw all of our lunch and gear in a backpack and hit the trail for at least 30 minutes before we ever put a toe in the water kind of stuff. So we really do try to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what people, what their goal is. If they just want to learn to cast the rod and we want to, you know, teach them how to read the water. There's, there's simple places we can get to. If they're really into wanting to, um, feel more comfortable going on a hike and fishing or finding a place that they can go backpack and camp and fish. Um, we try to work around what people's goals are and create a day for them that is unique to what they want to do, but can also match up with whatever season is and whatever the weather's doing and, and that at the same time. And I would say just their physical ability. For sure. That's that's the one thing that we have to deal with in the, the Smokies on the wild water. Yes. That, you know, a drift boat. I When I was doing floats, great. Let's go. I'm, I'm not really concerned about anything. Um, unless it's going to be a real windy day, if you could hang in with the wind. But I had to, a harder deal holding a boat in the wind than you did casting yeah. in the wind. So, it, so um you know, we always want to make sure that we're not, there's a lot of places um, and it's, it's kind of hard to, for people to imagine until they've been there, but there's places that are roadside, but 
you can't really fish these spots because they're so down in a gorge, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not really roadside fishing. Too, too steep to access. So, yeah. you know, once we kind of get a sense of if they're going for a, a half day, if, if they, you know, they've got some sort of physical limitation and they want to have a good time and learn, great, we're going to do that because I don't ever want anybody to feel uncomfortable. I don't want them to feel, you know, that they're, they're afraid of falling in the stream because it's too rough of water or, you know, and things happen, you, you know, it's, it, it's like a three foot embankment and it's not even that steep. And sometimes just pebbles slide into people's feet and they'll fall and I feel awful and they're like, Oh, okay. I, that was stupid. But, you know, I, I really don't want anybody to, to feel that, that they were, you know, limited, but I took them someplace that they couldn't do. Yeah. So, um, that's one thing that we're always, you know, really sensitive to. And sometimes, you know, everybody is really able, but they want to bring their eight-year-old kid with them that day. Yep. And and I'll just tell you, you know, eight-year-olds are kind of into it for a minute. Yeah. But not really. So in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, it's June or July. I'm going to make sure that we go by this one spot where we can fish these pockets. And then we're coming to the big hole and tell a kid if he wants to jump in the big hole, get into it. Cause he's going to want to jump in somewhere. You oh know? yeah. Absolutely. You know, so you gotta, and I always tell people, you know, if they're bringing the kid, I'm like, you know, just so you know, ahead of time, they're going to end up in the river, whether you want them to or not. Yeah. So and that's we're just okay how kids are. Yeah. yeah. So good. We're good yeah for sure. Yeah. We, we, when people call and want to bring young kids, we, we, um, you know, our, our, goal is that no matter what the trip is that day when it's time to leave the kid won't want to leave yeah. or when they do leave the kid is like that was so awesome i want to come again come yeah you know? good. even if they only fish 30 minutes of that half day trip if we yeah. showed them bugs or salamanders or pointed out a cool snake or you know they one of one of uh i have i had a family that had a couple of kids and they would love to fish a big hole and then sit in the waterfall in their waders yeah. so that all the water would come around them, but they weren't really getting wet, yeah, gotcha. but they just loved that, you know, being able to create experiences like that where um, people are getting in the water and just having that fun and being in it. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a totally different experience too that you have when you're down in the river as opposed to being up on the trail. Mm -hmm, for sure. It's just really, for me, I just feel like I'm so much more a part of it as the, as the fish and the otters and the bugs are yeah. that way. Then if I'm up, I'm walking on the trail. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. For you sure. feel like you're a part of the ecosystem almost in a way. Like you've kind of been welcomed in. You feel, I know when I fish in the park a lot, one of the things that draws me to it is I, not to get really weird here, but I do, I feel like, a predator who is literally stalking prey. Like I feel like a predator that's stalking you fish are. and you, you really are. are. <laughs> What's that? Let's just be real honest. Ian, if Caleb fishes with you, you're going to be yelling at him a lot to quit falling down. So he, he, he's a, he's a splasher. So we, we kind of, but the reason, the reason I'm a splasher here is because this comes. guy doesn't slow down. Here so I if I want to not, if I want to not get high hold all day, I've got to hurry up. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at there. We'll leave it at that right now, but I would love to hear from you guys. You guys have been fishing the park for over 20, almost 30 years now. Um, 
what are some of those tips and tricks that you would recommend to people? I know one of the things I've heard you talk about, Ian, is that stealth and how important it is for these fish. Because these, one of the things that I think keeps drawing me back to them, these things are not easy to catch. You know, we've got friends that fish on the coast and they're like, oh, we, we post a picture of a Smoky Mountain National Park brook trout and it's the size of my hand and I'm stoked about that. And they're like, oh, it's bait. And I'm like, you don't understand what I did to catch that thing. Get it. Yeah. Say, come on, come on down. Exactly. <laughs> Come on up. <laughs> well, I have to say, any, anywhere else you go, the fish are easier. Mm. It, it's um, and and there there's uh, some exceptions. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that these are the hardest fish in the world, but they but because of their their size, they don't get respect mm-hmm. for that. Um, and, and we've been places in the West regularly that are like, man, this is the hard water. And we're like, well, they're not easy fish, but I mean, they're eaters. If if you put it out there and do what you're supposed to do, they they pretty They'll much eat it. Eat it. Yeah, and, and you might get splash a little bit. <laughs> well, they're hard in a different. But those sense. western it's fish, di- it's just different. They spook and they come back in like three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you sp- spook. You're like you're done. Gone. You're done for the day. Oh, that's what. We we laugh back and forth so much because that happens when we fish, you know, these po- these pockets around here in the in the park. You cast and make a splash, you might as well move on. Like you're you're done. They're they're not coming back. Well, and and you guys are experienced enough that I know that you've had this happen. You were just wrecking them. You're having a day. And then you're like, huh, nothing happened. That's interesting. I would have thought for sure. And then you get like three things in a row and you're just like what is going on? And then you're like, what? And then uh, way up, you get out and you start walking. And then there's a guy eating lunch. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I fished that three hours ago. And you're like, there three hours ago and they're still not. No. and Or like you, you're in the stream and you're fishing for, you know, an hour and you get nothing. Then all of a sudden, for like thirty minutes, everything just aligns, and it's because nobody's touched that water. Like like you're saying, somebody yeah, fished yeah. that spot, but then they stopped and they got out, and then you get to a spot that hadn't been hit that day, and it's like, it just man, we on. just had the best forty five minutes of the day. And it's not even yeah. like they had to fish it. If they just, I mean, a lot of times you'll you'll come up behind a guy and feels like, yeah, I missed a few, I caught one or two, and you're thinking, wow, that was a lot of water, you know, and they they're just like on point they, they kind of know that it's like their attitude changes the rest of the day mm-hmm. and that's just that that's the thing that a lot of folks you know you can say it to people and and they, they'll nod politely and they'll even maybe believe you but they don't really get it till they've seen Seriously, it yeah. you know they, they've lived it and uh you know gosh we went striper fishing we've done a lot of other fishing and you go and you do it and you think oh wow they just ate it like that wow okay <laughs> Okay, so we got to be that easy. Okay, we got to ask this question then. Um, when you're having a tough day, is there a is there a fly pattern or, or a setup that you say that you know this this tends to always work for me? Is it just kind of like what we do? We just find it different all the time. So, I kind of have like the I don't know. I guess the levels of because the fish here. Um, for, for people who aren't familiar, they're very dry fly oriented mm-hmm. uh, where we are. So once you kind of get into spring, you know, a dry fly is usually on the menu at some point, not 100%. Um, 
and, and if you want to fish bead heads, great. You can do that. But there's this sort of thing of like, oh, man, they, they should have been looking at the dry fly. So maybe we we need to be a little more open-minded. Let's let's go with some nymphs. Wow, they're not eating the nymphs. We, maybe we got to go a little deeper. Um, is you know may, Maybe we need to hit the white. We, it's just constant experimentation. Yeah. You know, are we hitting calm enough water? Are we hitting fast enough water? It just depends, you know, the higher the water is, maybe I'm looking for quieter water for the more slack it is. You know, when the, when the water gets lower and lower, you know, I just skip a ton of water because it's just like, that's just a waste. Mm-hmm. But a more direct answer to your question, parachute at them. All day, every day. <laughs> love it. Love. And agree. I mean, that is just like, if, if they had a one fly contest in the Smoky Mountains, yeah. parachute at them. Beadhead pheasant tail. There you go. You're done. Yeah. You know, that's all you need. We're a little favorite to the uh, to the green inch worm. We yeah, just, we love the greeny weenie. Some people are. Uh, we're those people. We're those people. Yeah, we're those people. <laughs> we are anti worm people. Uh, <laughs> anti worm people. Uh, especially you know, after. I don't, have a worm in, I don't have a worm in my box. That's hilarious. That's bed. awesome. Especially no. after a rainy. If it rains, we're, we're throwing a greeny weenie on. Like if it's knocking if it's knocking worms off the leaves, we're chucking them. We're we're doing it. But I got a nice like dry fly on top. So oh yeah. Oh sure. Okay. So oh yeah, we're we're always dry dropper fishing in the park. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. No, yeah. Dry dropper is awesome. That's my that's one of my favorite things to do. And and usually that's what if I'm if I'm fishing or if I have somebody that I'm guiding fishing and you get a couple good drifts with the dry fly. It's like, okay, let's put a dropper under there and see if we can stir them up. But there's so many times that it's not necessarily about the fly in the park because, you know, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park has an incredible diversity of bugs. We have so many. You know, when they, I think it's been like 16 years now since there was a, a group of scientists came to the Smokies and they were supposed to be here six months to do a environmental study to label us as a, what was it called? A all taxa biodiversity something um, to give our national parks that classification. Well, they ended up being here longer than two years because they kept finding new things. That is when the Great Smoky Mountains National Park gained the title of Salamander Capital of the World. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because they found more variety and and more population of salamanders than anywhere else that had ever been researched. And also in that study, for us trout fishermen, they found 19 aquatic insects completely new to science. Wow. That's now, we already had, you know, there were already several listed that we knew were here, but they found 19 totally new. So... There's so much more in this wild trout water about your drift mm-hmm. than about your fly. I would say fish something you can see. Oh, man, that's my go-to. That's my go-to line. <laughs> Whenever I take hey, you, it, yeah. If you can't see it, yeah. or if you don't have something that you can see the take, yeah, what's you the know, point? they hit it and spit it so fast. You ain't kidding. If you can't see where your fly is or where that line is moving, tight lining or something like that, change it up. You got to be able to see it if you want to hook them. Yeah, really do. That's been our experience. We fish, or at least I know I fish, mostly confidence flies that I know I can see 
that I know I can mm-hmm. um, present that a way that I want to present because I think yeah. that's the most important thing. We don't do a lot of matching the hatch around here. I feel like it's way more yeah. presenting the fly the way that's, that's going to be. Because they have so many options. I mean, you yeah. sit there and watch if there's stuff hatching, how many different shapes and colors it, are coming it, on Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, turn over a rock, how many shapes and sizes mm-hmm. and various colors of, of nymphs are you seeing under the rocks when you reach in a current and pick something up? There's such diversity there that, you know, the, the next thing I would say is just, you know, that drift. Don't use too much line. Keep your cast short. That is just for, I would say, 90 percent, maybe 95 percent of the water that we fish in the National Park. Keep your cast short so that you can can you can control that line and not be fighting drag the whole time because because they are wild fish and because they are so skittish, um, they're not usually going to eat a fly that looks like a little UFO on water skis. Mm. I mean, it's just not. So that's just a really good you know. Again, I think that's more important than the fly. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to. Uh kind of transition a little bit so we're going to take just a, a real quick just a quick break yep. just long enough really for us to pause this thing and then we're going to come back in and talk to some lessons learned as parents on the water <laughs> okay. sounds great we'll be right back dads on the fly is brought to you by catch cam nets catch cam nets where you can build your own net it's your net so you choose every feature Check them out online at catchcamnets.com. Well, we are back with Ian and Charity Rudder. And Ian and Charity, thank you guys again so much for spending some time with us. We spent the first part of this episode talking a lot about one of our favorite things, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and hearing more about your stories of getting into guiding and fly fishing. And I love the stories. And I know you've got lots of other great stories about being parents and also being fly anglers. So we want to dive into some of that. So would love to just ask you guys, what is your favorite story of having your kids on the water? You already told us the one about having your newborn floating under an umbrella on the Madison, which I absolutely love. But uh, what other, if you could pick a story of having your kid on the water? Wow. Well, they, where, where do I start? <laughs> so many. So many. Um, wow. Um, gosh. I don't know. It's, it's kind of torn here between being self-deprecating and just bragging and like crazy. <laughs> like, I'll just get to tell you, if, if you get the National Park Fishing Regulations... Oh. That's our children holding fish. <laughs> the children, on the, the pictures park of children on the park regulations. Those are our kids. <laughs> oh, that's They're awesome. Older now, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, gosh, there was so many times that I'd have them in the in the backpack. There was once. I'll, I'll tell one on myself, just so people don't don't feel like you know. Oh wow, if I could just be like these brilliant parent anger all stars. But uh, it was it was about this time of year, and you know, kind of a pretty chilly day and buddy up the street i go fishing with fair amount we were talking i was like well you want to after lunch you know run up there see what we can do um charity's got some work going on you know get get boone out of the house and he was uh born in september so this was february so he was just a few months old 
he was old enough that I could get him out of the kangaroo pouch thing. Yeah. And he was just old enough to get being in the there. One in the, being the one on the back. So he had to be like six months old. Yeah. So there was this, it was twice this winter, probably within about a week or two's time. But we went up there and fishing in the campground at Elkmont because that was easy to get to. And I wasn't too concerned. And I had him in the backpack and we were, Doug and my, my friend Doug and I were taking turns fishing this one run. And uh, I don't know if I hooked the fish or what, but I took a few steps backward and it was a pretty sandy bottom spot. I wouldn't really, and I'm sure I just got cocky about it, but I took a few steps backward and just kind of tripped and just kind of did one of those things where you kind of sit down or almost sit down, but it was kind of deep water and it wasn't enough, but I went over the tops of my waders, but I stood up and I thought, oh, the baby's in the backpack there, you know? And as I stood up, I could hear the water rushing off. And I waded out of the creek and ran up to the car and pulled him out. And he was drippy. And I was pulling him out of his onesie, you know, his fleece stuff and trying to get him all warmed up. And my friend Doug was like, wow, man, he's a good kid. He's not even crying. And I was like, because he's, he's hypothermic. <laughs> <laughs> he was not hypothermic. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that the day you lost a shoe? No. That, so there was another. Oh. <laughs> so was a few Doug and I went to Cade's Cove and we were fishing on Abrams Creek and uh, going along, taking turns. And there was snow on the ground. It was a really cold day, but we had really good clothes for the kids. We always got the little baby Patagonia yeah. puff. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we were fishing an hour and a half or so and. Boone's getting a little fussy, and he's like, well, you know, you're all right back there, buddy. You know, you're all right. He just kind of kept going a little more, a little more, and at a certain point, man, he just, he lit it up. He was just screaming. And I said, I don't know, Doug. Let me pull over here. I might have to change the diaper or something. He's He's got trouble. So I, so I took the backpack off, sitting down, pulled him out of it, and he didn't have any shoes or socks on. Oh, gosh. So he had kicked them off. He, I mean, he had them, yeah. but he had kicked them off. And I was like, oh, shoot. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, kind what, of, that's what he said. I yeah. kind of walked up and down the bank, and I found one sock and one shoe, but not the other. Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, Doug. We're kind of done here. Yeah, we got to go. <laughs> so, I brought diapers, but I didn't bring extra shoes. socks and shoes for him. So, yeah, it's 25 degrees. we got to kind of call it a day here for, for Boone not having any uh, shoes. His little beet red feet. But he, you know, he was good. He was fine, and probably not that. But there's he still has four toes on that. Thing. Well, that's good. <laughs> there you go. At least four. <laughs> I'm he has all of his toes. <laughs> but, so it. he's 13 now, and and past probably since he's been about eight, he, <sighs> he feels like he's on a personal mission to find the best swimming hole in the smoke. I love it. You know, the, so we'll we'll try to find one where it's you know a big deep spot with enough of a boulder he can jump off. It's deep enough he can jump off in it. And uh, there's there's a few spots I've we hiked into. I'm like, this is going to be cold. Oh, I want so, but yeah. So he's decided it's never cold enough. Yeah, he's also I think he's part polar bear because <laughs> it's like if it's a sunny day in February, he's like, Mom, can I go swimming? <laughs> no, not, I don't not, really think it's a good it, idea. But, We'd like to stay out here for a couple more hours. <laughs> but but here's advice to parents. So when you know it's too cold for him to go swimming. You're going to fight with him. Oh, yeah. About, oh, it's too cold. No, I can't. I just decided like the second or third time. I was like, all right, let's go. Take it all off. Get in. Keep your shoes dry. And, and you can tell he's like, 
wait a minute. I'm like, come on, we ain't got all that. <laughs> so I just kind of put and, and then once he kind of dips that toe in there, it's like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe 42 degree water isn't great. I'm like, well, either get in or get dressed. Let's go. Because <laughs> we can get that taken care of faster than arguing that it's too cold for him to go fishing. Good point. Just let him figure it out. <laughs> you let him figure it out for themselves. Yeah. I like well, it. and another, another uh, simple tip. And we probably did this for Boone until he was probably close to 10 years old. Uh, a gallon size Ziploc baggie with a change of clothes that just lives in your bag. Nice. It just lives there. It's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. There was there were a few years we had to keep two Ziploc baggies of clothes in the in the bag for Boone because he would just, you know, whether he was intentionally getting in the water or it just happened because he was climbing on a rock and wasn't fearful enough to realize that if he went over the other side of it, he would slide into the water. It's that second child um, life. That's what it is. Yep. Yeah. Kind it's that second child. Of, <laughs> you know, it's just maybe, but, but, you know, if you're prepared so that you can stay out there and you know, the whole thing is, it's like, I'm going to make this the easiest I can for them so that I can stay out here too. Yeah. Because if he gets wet and miserable and I don't have something dry for him, we got to go home. Yep. For sure. Now we were talking a little bit um, off air and I know that you guys have, as you said, you were doing things with kids on the water before it was cool to do things with kids <laughs> in the water. And and now your kids, uh, you're telling us about the amazing accomplishments for your daughter uh, about to go off to college this coming fall and your son's in middle school. And so how has that transitioned? I know you said she's, she's very into to the arts. I think your son is as well. And do We've had this conversation with other people kind of in the industry that are guides or full-time fly fishing all the time. And, you know, it goes through seasons. So do you, do your kids still, you know, do they still fish with you some, or is it not their thing all the time, but they still know that it's important to the family? Or how has that transitioned as they've kind of, you know, used to, when I teach middle school, so that's kind of when they start to find, like, what they want to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, so our, our kids will tell you fly fishing is not their absolute favorite thing. But um, I'm proud to say they will also tell you that we never told them they had to fish. Awesome. That is nothing we ever forced on them. Did we say, yes, you have to go with us. We're going on a walk in the woods. Yes, we did do that. And usually if they argued that, once we got there and told them it was time to go home, they were really disappointed that it was already time to go home. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's just kind of us knowing better that they need to get out of the house and do other things. But, um, and just, and making that rule, you know, we're going, you know, you don't have to fish. Um, during COVID, when, when that was our, most of what we could do, um, the kids got in this thing where they loved to take a hammock and a book and a little, like a little car sized blanket, like a little backseat car kind of blanket. And they would go hook up their hammock by the side of the river take their little blanket and their little book and just hang out together by the side of the river and we would tell them okay we're only going this way if you come looking for us only go this way because when we come back we're going to come back to where you are so and we would usually just set a time with them and tell them and they they'd be good with it um at the same time over the last few years when we've gone out west there's a couple rivers that we fish in and they get really competitive mm. because 
I don't, it's funny. I don't, you know, we were talking about the difference in how difficult the fish are to catch here as opposed to other places. And there's a couple rivers that we go there and they just think it's so easy. So then it becomes this competition of who's going to catch more or no, no, you got that run last year. Oh gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Our son one year, um, when we fish, we usually, when we're fishing together as a family, it's usually one of us with one kid and one with the other. And we'll take one rod with each two people so that we can take turns fishing and watch each other and support each other moving through the river. That's a great tip, by the way. Yeah. I think that's great oh, okay. for parents. Yeah. Like, I just think for parents that are taking their kids fishing, because I know for me, I'll take a rod and try to get my six year old one. And that's a bad idea. We haven't done that lately. We're getting better. That's yeah, we usually share a rod, and then that yeah. way, you know, they can they can cheer us on when we're fishing, and we can cheer them on, or you know, we have them hit the the closer part, and then we step in and hit the further part that's maybe deeper or a mm. harder cast or a harder drift. Um, and so we kind of move through the river together, and that's usually the way Ian and I fish together too. Is we'll take one rod and and fish together so that we stay side by side. Don't get any ideas. Do not get any ideas. I'm definitely not just taking one. If I, if Josh was looking at me thinking I was going to take one rod with just him, that ain't never happened. I'd never get to fish. But, uh, but (laughs) that is a good idea when I take my wife. though. Yeah. It's a really fun way. And you know, I always feel like you learn something watching people anyway, and they learn too. So, um, anyway, so we were on this spot in a, in a river wading together in, um, Idaho and we get in this run that has the most one of the most beautiful feeding lanes you've ever seen and we're standing in shin deep water and it is like every cast our daughter is just like mm, mm, just bringing them in every cast and our and what we do when we do that is like we'll do this run, y'all do that run, then we'll come around you and we kind of leapfrog each other going. So our son is like comes up and is watching her do that. And he's like, Okay, you caught three, it's my turn. And she's like, <laughs> No, this is my run. And he's like, Well, well, when do I get to go? It's like, well, that was your run. <laughs> and that's your run up there in front of me. So seriously, the next year, we went back to that spot, and well, we he just... was so insistent. He's like, "That's going to be my run." <laughs> and all the other runs were good. It just happened to be just a, you know, it was a golden moment where, as you say, everything aligned perfectly, and she was just every drift. But so the next year we go back, and as we're walking <laughs> up the river. He gets a little antsy, and I just said, did you think you heard something like maybe he thinks he heard a bear or something? He says, no. He says, isn't that spot coming up that Willow was catching so many fish last year? And I said, ah, you know, I think it is. He said, what's mine this year? <laughs> I, said, okay. I said, well, why don't we go find it? We'll just go straight there since I know we're getting close. So we're there, and he catches one. Oh, he's he's hot. He's He catches another one, and about that time, he's bringing it in, and Charity and Willow come walking up, and he turns around. He's bringing. She says, "Ha ha, Willow, I got this spot. I got it this year. It's mine." And she just shrugs us. Okay, and she starts walking. He says, "No, no, 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 no. You have to stay here and watch me catch these just the way I had to do last year." 
That is great. Wow, that got under his skin. <laughs> you made me suffer watching you catch fish. You're going to do it too. Too cool, too cool. At that point, Ian and I both go sit on the riverbank and Willow walks out there with him. There you go. And I think at one point he finally hands her the rod and he's like directing her. Put it over there, put it over here. You know, he's like telling her to do it and she's catching fish. He's like, yeah. That is <laughs> cool. Well, it's really funny, but they have gotten competitive, even though it's not, you know, it's not their favorite thing. They're really good at it. I don't think they realize how good they are yeah. at it lots mm. of times. Um, but it's just it's just what they've done and what they've grown up with. So um, that's just that's just what we do. And For sure. They they uh, it's gonna. We're really interested to see. Um, our daughter is moving to a very large city from here for college, and it's going to be really interesting to see the difference. Like she's she's one of those kids that can like you know look at a tree and tell you what kind it is, and tell you things about a bug or a bird, and it's just it's second nature to her. And um, you know we laugh. I don't. There was something just the other day. She said something about a bird, and she walked out of the room, and her dad was like. How many kids do you know that age that can tell you what kind of bird that is? You know, and well, it's she, just, just, it was on the bird fun, feeder. Just funny things like that. You she know, just that, said, "Whoa, whoa, that we've never had that bird on the bird feeder before." That's that's a whole different. That's a thing. different one, yeah. Wow. But just you know, just little things like that that um, you know that they have just been accustomed to because of the environment we live in and because of the lifestyle we lead. Um, you know, I, I, uh, she. Because of it, she is also very interested in environmental science stuff okay. with her studies. So um, we're interested to see if that actually is um, emphasized more for her once she moves away, where she's not living in the middle of a rainforest, yeah. um, or if she, or if she, you know, ends up discovering other things that she's never heard of and goes that way. It'll just be fun to see what direction it goes. That's really neat. I think the thing that. I get from this conversation, you guys talking about your kids that I just think is really special is the fact that you guys have something as a family that is yours. Like you have this thing that you're all very interested in that even though your kids maybe didn't, like you said, they would not say it's their thing per se. It's still this thing that you guys have as a family that brings you together. It's this thing that you guys have a family and how special is that? A lot of families don't have that. And I think it's really special. And then the fact that it's fly fishing and it's in this beautiful place is just an added bonus. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. can't uh, camp as a family and go camping and fishing kind of stuff. And that's, that's turned into something fun. Our daughter, our daughter last year, um, one of her friends said, wouldn't it be cool if we all went camping? And this group of like 12 or 13 kids that she's like this whole friend group of guys and girls thought that would just be awesome. And so we offer because we have a lot of gear and because that's, we do that a lot for work, take people in. Um, and we're setting up the tents and everything. And I just said to him, I was like, how many, how many of y'all have never been camping? And now these are Kit Blunt County kids, you know, they all live right here. And um, more than half of them had never wow. been camping. So it's really fun that, you know, our kids are wanting to share that kind of stuff with their friends For too. Sure. That that makes us really proud, and we really like that. <laughs> and and we all know the benefits. You hinted at it earlier, Charity. The benefits of just being outside. I mean, it's just something that's going to be so oh, impactful gosh. for them for the rest of their life. 
Well, you know, for for those of us that do so much outside, we I feel like we've always known it, but all the research that they're doing now that talks about the benefits of just the the fresh air and the green and the textures Mm -hmm. and the sounds and just the just the stuff that it you know lowers your blood pressure, it activates things in your brain that you don't get otherwise, and it's awesome. The the thing that I always like to point out about it. Um, and whether it's for a kid or an, or an adult um, who kind of lives in suburbia or a big city, is that it is reality, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's it's not like Donkey Kong where you get another life. You know, no, you slip and you fell, and it wasn't like you know Mario fell off the thing and bounced back up. You you know what slick stuff is, and you know what making a fly cast work is versus not making it work. And there's just this sort of reality that you know, we were talking about, Oh, we're doing good. Well, now we're not doing good. And you, you kind of have to work through that. And that's yeah. just, you know, the reality of being in the world on its terms mm. um, that, that I, I guess, you know, you don't get as much of in modern life now. For sure. We, we can't thank you guys enough for, wow, such some really cool stories and um, just an awesome conversation. Before we kind of end with uh, our last question, we just want to let all of our listeners know and everyone who checks us out where they can, uh, the best place to find out about you guys and if they're coming to the area, how to um, get in touch with you, possibly book a trip, uh, spend a day out on the water with you. And so um, I'm pretty sure it's randrflyfishing.com, correct? Correct. Right, R Correct. and R. Yep. You just have to spell out that and. Okay. Another one of those. We were in this before the internet was big. Yeah. So R and R flyfishing.com. And I think you're also pretty active on Instagram uh, at R same, same tag. R, yeah. It's all the same everywhere. Dot com. Yeah. Same handle for Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Yep. And we have a real simple online booking system. If people need to, you know, get with their families or whoever they're traveling with and try to see calendars and stuff, they can get online and see availability. And, you know, if we're out on the water, we, we love our booking system because we can be out on the water all day and they can get online and book it. And then we'll just give them a call when we get home and let them know we got the booking and make a plan. Sweet. Well, thank you. And then I would encourage anyone, too, that wants to learn a lot more about fly fishing in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Ian, you've written a couple of great books, and um, those are awesome. The uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park Angler's Companion is a great resource for a lot of folks that want to check it out. So I'd encourage them to go find that as well. Thank you. We've got a, another book that's at the publisher. We honestly thought it was going to be out by now, but it's yeah. it's not. Um, but probably Angler's, next year. Angler's Companion is out of print now. It's been 20 years since that one printed and uh, we've written a new one that is, well, the editor has it. It's in, it's in edits yeah. <laughs> right now. So it'll probably be, it'll probably be at least six months or more before we see that. Well, I look forward to it when it comes out. We'll make sure to grab a copy and check it out for sure. Cause there's a lot of great insights in those books. So appreciate those. Thank you thank so you. much. Well guys, thank y'all again for your time. We are just so grateful for uh, all of your insight. I think parents that are listening to this hopefully got some great tips about getting their kids on the water. And uh, I think one of the things I've learned from this as well is to enjoy those moments, remember those stories, tell them, and uh, be impactful with that time that you get with your kids. Yeah, and just the thing of just seeing both of your passion for the sport 
um, the passion for where you live, and also just the joy that you have together that you've been able to have through your family and and on the water. It's a it's a true testament to you know um, just sharing love with each other of outdoors and also just the love of the family built. So thank you guys so much for being on dads on the fly. We really appreciate it. And we hope to uh, get on the water sometime together and uh, learn even more about how to catch these sneaky fish. Thank you so much. Well, thanks guys. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the dads on the fly podcast. And until next time, tight lines. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through faith, family, and fishing all on the fly. Make sure to check us out at dadsonthefly.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dads on the Fly. Shoot us a message as we always love hearing from you all. If you'd like to check out any Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. And as always, if you can, leave us a rating or review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.